When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. Hello, I am Gabe Gonzalez and you are listening to the QWERTY podcast. This is a weekly show from QWERTY and Forever Dog where you know the drill. I'll be covering news, politics, and pop culture impacting the LGBTQ community. And uh, I'm going to invite a guest and we're going to do three very important things. We're going to hang out. We're going to reflect a little bit on the week's news, which I'll be covering at the top of the podcast. And we're going to generally keep it cute. Those are my three demands for every episode, and we will fulfill them, all right? This week on the show, uh, we're taking a look at the week's headlines that I am interested in, and I think you will be too. We're going to look at the politician whose own kids are iffy on supporting them, uh, how Kathy Griffin may have helped two gay teenagers hold their bully accountable, and why we're still obsessed with one particular historical figure's sexuality. We're just, we're really horny for people from eras past, and that never ceases. I'm excited to dive into that. Uh, We've also got a really, really incredible guest, like mind-blowingly cool, absurdly talented level guest. The one and only Vanessa Carlton is here, like truly on the QWERTY podcast. And we are going to be talking. We're talking about all of it. We're talking about that song from 2001. You all know the one. Uh, We're going to talk about what it felt like for her to come out before millions of people were actually tweeting about it pre-Twitter coming out. That's pretty wild. And the unique gig that she's said yes to since she can't be on Twitter tour. I am so thrilled to have Vanessa on the show and can't wait to share that conversation with you. But first, we got to talk about these headlines in a little segment we like to call Catch Her Up. All right, our first headline of the week, Caitlyn Jenner has a bunch of people opposed to her campaign, including her family. Uh, A vocal supporter of Donald Trump during his candidacy and for part of his presidency, who said she voted for him, although according to Politico record show, she didn't even cast a ballot in 2016. Caitlyn Jenner has long identified as a Republican and consulted Republican advisors while considering whether or not to run for governor of California, correctly assuming that now Governor Gavin Newsom would face a recall election right about now. But people within the LGBTQ community have criticized her decision to run for a number of different reasons, many of which are related to her qualifications and her political beliefs, as well as the potential that she might be tokenized by a party trying to sanitize their very dangerous push for anti-trans legislation in a number of state legislatures. In fact, it also seems like a bunch of Caitlyn Jenner's own relatives are also opposed to the campaign. Her three sons reportedly urged her not to run at all the night before she announced and told her she's not qualified. Conservatives, on the other hand, are predictably opposed to the very premise of a trans woman running as a Republican. One Fox News guest called her a very nice person before implying that she shouldn't exist at all. So there's that. Meanwhile, Jenner's very famous daughters seem to be more quietly opposed and have at least refused to campaign for her. Although Kendall was recently seen buying a six pack of Pepsi, so maybe she's got something big up her sleeve, you know? 
We never know. And look, there is plenty to criticize about Caitlyn Jenner's campaign, especially surrounding her political positions or qualifications and even her intentions. Uh, But what we're not going to do is rely on lazy and transphobic jokes. All right, we're not doing that. Bill Maher, whose comments aren't even worth repeating. Honestly, nothing he ever says is worth repeating. I'm just praying whoever keeps greenlighting the show on HBO to finally realize it. And if you'd like to hear a trans woman who predicted we might see something like this and did a deep dive on the idea of substantive representation and what that means beyond mere visibility, you can check out episode five of the QWERTY podcast with Raquel Willis, a really incredible and insightful guest, an episode I often turn to to soothe myself during the pandemic. All right, let's move on to our next headline of the week. Kathy Griffin and two teenagers kind of inadvertently teamed up to get a creepy homophobic CEO fired uh, after this 40-year-old man who was reportedly drunk harassed these two teenagers who were taking photos right before their prom. Based on a viral video that was originally posted on TikTok, this guy seemed angry that one of the young men was wearing a dress, saying things like, you look disgusting, you look like an idiot, and men shouldn't be wearing this. Because, you know, nothing says conservative values and traditional masculinity like getting drunk at a hotel restaurant and bullying some teenagers for what they're wearing. Like, Jesus, man, it's not just bigoted. It's like genuinely the most pathetic thing I've ever heard an adult doing. Anyway, Kathy Griffin retweeted the video with the harasser's full name, Sam Johnson, and his employer, a company called Visuel. I'm not even sure what that means or how it should be pronounced. Um, However, mere hours after Kathy Griffin's post, they announced they had terminated Johnson as their CEO. So look at that. Swift repercussions at work. All right, baby. I'm going to paraphrase LeVar Burton, who said it really well this week. It's not cancel culture. It's consequences catching up with people who never thought they'd have to face them. Sam Johnson. Thankful for that story, but let's move on to our third and final headline of the week. We're taking it way back for this one. All right. New research answers old questions about Shakespeare's sexuality. That's right. The original playwright, the playwright we were all gagging over until Jeremy O'Harris, truly. Maybe there were playwrights between Shakespeare and Jeremy O'Harris. I'll never know. Two UK-based Shakespeare scholars, Sir Stanley Wells and Dr. Paul Edmondson, those are some titles, have come to an arguably conclusive answer on the question that has surrounded an historical figure who never really felt spiritually straight. Like, we all just knew this. But historians need proof, okay? And without DMs, how does one know? Well, the queerest of written art forms, poems, sonnets, to be specific. They looked at 182 of them and concluded that 10 were written for women, while at least 27 were written for men. And they found a pattern after placing the sonnets in what they assume was a chronological order. Edmonton told the UK newspaper The Telegraph that they were left with, quote, no doubt that Shakespeare was bisexual. It's become fashionable since the mid-1980s to think of Shakespeare as gay. But some of those sonnets are addressed to a female and others to a male. To reclaim the term bisexual seems to be quite an original thing to be doing, end quote. I love I love a little scholarly shade about specificity. This is great. But see, here's the thing. You don't even need to read the sonnets, babe. Like, the plays are rife with daddy issues, witches, literal fairies, and people who fall in love after pretending to hate each other for at least two acts. That's queer. He named a character Bottom. Like, come on. Do you know what happened when I googled the word in high school? And look, while it may not have been a word while Shakespeare was alive, bisexuality is not a new phenomenon. So I am all for demanding historical accuracy in our academic and artistic institutions. I'm going to need every stage production of Romeo and Juliet from here on out to include some strong bisexual lighting, and I won't settle for less. If we need a federal man to update the lighting grids in our community theaters. I trust that Joe Biden, supporter of the arts, will be all over that. And 
now it is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm sure you all have been waiting for since I teased this interview at the beginning of the episode. Today, we've got an incredible guest on the QWERTY podcast, a singer, a songwriter, and musician whose voice may have gotten you like me through an emotional summer or a teenage breakup or some unfortunate fashion choices made in the early 2000s. Uh, RIP my bootcut jeans. The deluxe edition of her 2020 album, Love is an Art, came out this year. She starred in the Broadway musical Beautiful and has also worked as an advocate fighting on behalf of a number of issues like equal pay in the workplace and protecting the environment. In fact, the music video for her debut single, A Thousand Miles, dared to dream of a world where the arts are the best form of public transportation. Honestly, I'd rather ride a piano than the New York subway any day. Please welcome to the QWERTY podcast, the incredible, the iconic, the legendary Vanessa Carlton. Good morning. How are you? What an intro. Thank you so (laughs) much. I'm pretty well. How are you? Doing all right. I realize that's a very loaded question these days. I just, I'm throwing it out with abandon. I know. Well, you know, when someone's really going to answer you when there's just like this, well, um, so, you know, and then you're like, oh, oh, damn. We're going in hot. That's the moment where you second guess whether you're not. You should have asked. That's like, all right, great. We're Correct. diving in. Yeah. But you know what? It's interesting because we're in spring. You know, it's it's been an unprecedented year. You know, everyone's in a, out of their comfort zone. Truly, yeah. I mean, you're a live performer as well. I am of a different kind. I have no musical talents, but maybe some comedic ones. But I'm sure it's got to be kind of wild, like right on the heels of an album that came out mid-pandemic being like, all right, we're going to chill at home. Like how, uh, what sort of become maybe your routine or kind of your, I don't know, foundation throughout uh, the past year and a half, I guess. Well, first of all, going back to your intro, I think now is the time to bring back bootcut jeans. I mean, I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know. I I know guys like really hesitate on that cut, but that was big in the 70s, right? Didn't all guys wear bootcut jeans? Yeah, you have that strong flair. Such a strong flair. Honestly, my foundation has been my family. I since my daughter started going to school too, because we have we're one of those very lucky families. Like we live in the middle of nowhere now on purpose so that she could attend a school safely and have been substitute teaching there. So I've been no subbing way. the whole <laughs> most of the year. Whenever I'm like their go-to call because I'm always available. Yes. And right. um <laughs> that has been my Surprise. I mean, that has been very grounding for me, that interaction with the kids and seeing how flexible they are. I really feel like this pandemic has been very difficult on everybody. I I do feel like there's something about children that are just in a way more resilient than adults. And I've been I've been seeing that, you know, so I think our daughter who's six, like she's been our main focus, my husband and I, because we're, we're both touring musicians. Obviously, we ha- we're out of work, kind of reconnecting as a family. And um, I think it's I need to tread lightly on this answer, too, because I, I really think so many folks, essential workers, people that are going, yeah, have to be out there. There's not a lot of great things happening. You know, it, this is something like a, it, this is something that people are surviving. And I think it's going to be a very character building year. I, I look forward to seeing how this affects us in the future as a community, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's a tough answer. No, absolutely. Because I think you, you want to extend compassion to the people that maybe, I mean, like you said, aren't as fortunate and don't have the opportunity. And so it's like to be an artist who is at all kind of keeping afloat or any sort of worker that is not forced to go out on the quote unquote front lines every day, like that's major. It's definitely, it's a blessing for sure. And my landlord, because we're renting a home, we sold our house in Nashville. We're definitely like in between. We're just like a floating family right now. You know, our landlord is, is a nurse and she's, you oh, know, wow. I want to just squeeze her so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, had the hospital in town right now is like some, a mess, you know? So I think 
doing things like this too, like being able to talk to you, talking about art, talking about projects, talking about expression. I think that can be definitely has always been foundational for me. Also, I'm so cooped up at times. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to someone. Hey, yeah. I like, I'm not like, I've never been a big press person, but I'm like, oh my God, I have so many people to talk to today. What are we going to talk about? You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. So many things. I've got a laundry list. I'm afraid we won't be able to get to all of it, but yeah, all of my clothes, yeah. <laughs> my, my jean style cuts, you know, yes. I could go through them all with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm look, I am, I'll say I'm pro boot cut or flare jeans if they're tight in the booty and they're not too long. I'm a short man. So they end up looking like mm-hmm, a mm-hmm, Victorian mm-hmm. sleeve on my legs <laughs> if they're not the right. Yeah. You know what I mean, I yeah, think that's what a boot cut jean is a Victorian sleeve for the yeah, leg. That's basically it. It's I think just you that. just nailed it. Oh my God. Okay, great. We are having, we're having a bootcut renaissance, quite literally. I'm so excited. <laughs> and speaking of that, I can't wait to get back. Like, I have always wanted to go to the Renaissance Fair and that's got to come back. I mean, I know it will. It's got to. And I can't wait to do something like that. Yeah. Do you have like a Renaissance instrument you think you'd be downplaying? Like, would you be like, would you learn the lute? I, I was going to yeah. just say the lute, actually, because yes. I love lute music. Like, I love Renaissance aesthetic music, I, Renaissance style music, because my like one of my favorite classical styles of music. I was just talking to John about this the other day. Like, I love lute. I love a lute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. you know, and I also really love classical horns, like classical horn pieces. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm ready for the Renaissance Fair whenever that opens up and it's safe. I'm ready. I got outdoors, double vaccinated. Right? Listen, yeah. I'm d- double vaxxed. Oh, I am good yeah. to go. <laughs> ready. Yeah. Are you, how are you doing on that front? I got my second vaccine shot about a week and a half ago, which was really exciting. Okay. Um, so you're feeling good now. It up. Yeah. I'm okay. feeling a bit better. I was one of those folks who was like really, really, I'm naturally kind of a homebody. So I was kind of cooked up. It was me and my cat riding it out for a hot second here. But yeah. Um, oh, yeah also cuties. thankful for Zoom conversations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So we are going to the Renaissance Fest. This is happening. I used to play the bassoon. So I need to adapt. I need a new instrument. That's amazing. Bassoons are not very portable, I will say. They're say big. Those are, sure that's you know. a big one. And I'm like 5'6", so I feel like they assigned me the bassoon for the comedic element in middle school, and I just never got the bit, so I kept I bet it. you could rock that, whatever. <laughs> Nowadays, I would fully. I'd love it. All right, so while we're getting nostalgic, I do, I'm, I'm going to take you back, but not so far back that bootcut jeans were still the rage. I want to go back to 2010. Um, when you kind of came out, I guess publicly, because I feel like folks are, you know, I feel like coming out isn't like a, this is the day and it happened, right? But I think you publicly came out in 2010 at Nashville Pride. And that was, I remember I was like uh, freshly in college and that was like major for Mm -hmm. me in my little queer circle. But Mm -hmm. I'm also wondering for you personally, how do you kind of make that decision to say something like that publicly? Was it kind of like a spur of the moment feeling the vibe Mm -hmm. like we're at Nashville Pride? Or was it the kind of thing you maybe had to work up the courage to do because you were so much in the limelight. Well, this is so funny that this we're doing, having this talk today about this because I was just talking to John about this last night because nowadays there, okay, think about 2010 and what social media was. Right. There was nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. for at least for me, like I, I didn't really do Twitter. I didn't have an Instagram. I think there was like 10 fake Instagram accounts with my name on it. <laughs> I didn't engage, you know, there was none of that type of immediate engagement, putting out messages, putting out art, you know, like photos, whatever, getting immediate responses from the internet. And it was my first pride festival I'd ever played, I believe. And I was wa- looking at, I never, I didn't plan to say anything actually. And I was looking at these young 
girls in the front, a bunch of different, you know, coupled girls in the front and was playing some song. There was like tears, you know, it was like, just seemed Mm -hmm. like a really intense, especially then in Nashville, you know, playing Pride Festival in the South. And I I just thought, started thinking about how hard it is for, you know, at that point I'm living on my own. I don't need my parents' approval. Like I, I have defined my own sexuality for myself. And I just felt like it was a really important moment for me to say to them, I, I am bisexual. I am, I know when I was talking to John about it last night, I was like, you know, my sexuality is so fluid for me. I, and it's interesting how, you know, how we have to feel like we have to define it. You sure. know what I mean? John and I have this uh, radio show every Sunday night and we have like a, 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 our relationship expert slash brilliant songwriter who is called Dear Tristan and she answers questions about sexuality or friendships oh, cool. or problems or whatever. And like, there's so many new terms and define like definitions of different styles of coupling, different ways that you identify. Um, and I feel like I'm so behind. Like, I'm like, <laughs> thank God I said, you know, what I said then. And, you know, I, I feel like it's important for someone like me too to be open to realizing that this is like a, this is people are redefining themselves all the time and like getting closer and closer to their own truths. You know, I, I'm kind of rambling, but I just, that was basically the crux of it. I, I just, I wanted to know, I wanted them to know that I, I see them. I'm with, like, I am, I share that with them. And let's play some songs, you know, that's really beautiful. Just truly that moment of connection where you see someone and you're like, all right, I'm feeling something here, some kind of vulnerability, some sort of like moment that we're sharing. So why not just like kind of bear a bit of myself? I think that's really I don't know. It's kind of, it is exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that feeling was in the moment. I think I think we do live in an era right now, you know, where there's so many words and people even the language from 2010 is still changing, right? Right. That's what I was getting at. Like, did I say that right then? Like, is that considered okay now that I'm still considered bisexual? Or is like, is it like, no, you're fluid, you're, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm learning something every week Mm. about this. And it is my obligation to be open to learning. And totally. not just being like, well, this is just what I am. And I don't know why are they coming up with another thing that I like. Sometimes I feel like such an old lady, like uh, behind, you know, the other thing I wanted to say, though, that was a live show. This was not me post. And not that there's anything right, wrong with yeah. doing something like that. But this was like a, a live moment. I did not say this to the press. I did not say it. I it was a really private experience between the people at the show and me. And then I got all these interviews for like doing out magazine or this and that. And I was like. Mm. I didn't feel comfortable at that time talking about it to the press. Mm. I just wanted to share that with people that I was with at a show. You know what I mean? But now I talk about it. Yeah, which is great. I mean, I love that. Yeah. But it, it's true. You know, I think in that moment, it's there's sort of a reticence because especially when you bear that part of yourself, I think there's sometimes a fear that people will sort of categorize it or frame it in a way that is not necessarily true to what you're saying, especially if you're interviewing folks in the media who are like, okay, we know three things about you. Let's like, let's be like, do you agree with this? Right? Yeah. So that can be mm -hmm, totally. I just, that's so exciting to me because I do remember I read about it online and it was like two paragraphs, maybe like a few months after it happened. Uh, There wasn't, I was not on Twitter. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, we were in Twitter moment. Yeah. That's what I say. It's 2010, you know? Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to wind back a little bit farther, but kind of big picture here. It is, you recently did a very short kind of documentary piece of Vice talking about A Thousand Miles, which was your first single 
one. It came out 20 years ago. And you talk about, you know, a lot of stuff like making the riff and who the song is about, which launched like a bunch of online conspiracies. But you also kind of talked about the realer aspect of being a young artist in the music industry, right? The way you were treated, kind of the pressures you felt. And you mentioned that there was a period of time where you you kind of hated the song for a while and maybe resented a bit of, of what happened surrounding its creation mm-hmm. or that period. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how at this point, right, as you are being asked to look back on it, how do you learn to fall back in love with that song or maybe at least live with it if not fall back in love? <laughs> well, I think you have to do, you think, think a lot about like, I, I feel like I had to really spend time in counseling. I had to philosophize a lot. I had to continue working and growing and making, taking risks in my music. Mm. That was very helpful. I think fundamentally it's very helpful because it's a very strange situation to be in to have this like big thing, like this, this song that was like, it's like, it's, this is, this is basically how I look at it. The song is its own thing. Like the Mm. song is its own artist. It's like its own entity. This is like, the song is there beside me and I'm here. So I don't have to define myself by it. Mm. And I don't have to bear the weight of that. And what I said in that interview too, it's like, this is everybody else's song. This is not my song anymore. So this is like about when I play it now, artists perform or they hang their work or they artists are go public with their creativity because they want to connect with people. Mm-hmm. So, so I had to realize like, okay, Yes. Have I had some shows where I got really f***ing annoyed that people are yelling and interrupting the other songs and like not being respectful. And I want to, and they're, they're like, they're just shit face and like ruining the show. If I'm like, if, the, if I do like, a, I, I do release really like quiet moments in my show that are supposed that, that feel like meditation type things. And, mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll play all those, the songs that people like some of the songs that people know, of course, I'm not going to be a jerk. And there would be times where I'm like, Oh, like this f-ing song. Like, so the way I resolve that to answer also your question is I remember it was one show. I was just crying after I was like, I don't know. How do I do this? He's Rashawn, my manager is like, Vanessa, just open up with the song. So mm. I don't want to hold people at the show. They were just waiting for that. And, and so it's so wonderful. I'm like, guys, I want to just want to let the elephant out of the cage here. I'm going to play this. <laughs> Let's enjoy it. And then, and then the show can really start and we can really connect with each other or not. You know, like you have your choice. I, I like, okay, do I want to get into like what else this girl's doing? Or did I have my fill and I go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's those kind of two things I think have helped buoy me and allow me to continue to explore as an artist. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also what's so exciting about your music. I mean, you think about an album like Lieberman, which came out in 2015, which I loved, or even Love is an Art Now. If you don't, if you just look at like, you know, that first single and the artist you are now, there's such a chasm between those sounds, right? But I think if you follow the trajectory, I think there's a really kind of beautiful journey of growth and change and evolution. Like I think back to I think it was your third album, Heroes and Thieves. There was a music video for the song Nolita Fairy Tale, where a taxi literally runs over the piano in the first 10 yeah. minutes from a thousand miles. And yeah. I was like, okay, she's collaborating with Linda Perry. We are starting fresh. Like new things are <laughs> happening. Like, did that feel a bit cathartic for you to be like, okay, the song is I'm I'm killing it within myself, maybe, but it still <laughs> lives here. Like Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've always want that was fun that was that was fun i think i've always wanted to be able to i'm not nostalgic for myself 
Mm-hmm. I always wanted to just, I want, and I'm very clear about that. So I'm like, listen, I get people want to have their moments with that. These are moments as we've all grown up together now, these moments, these songs bring out such visceral memories for people. And mm-hmm. it's very nostalgic for them. And like, I respect that. But for me to remain nostalgic as a person with music prevents me from moving forward. Oh, I see your kitty. He's yeah, so cute. she loves to make a cameo she, every now and then. <laughs> she's a beauty. Oh my gosh. So I feel like I grew up with you. Like, if you feel like you grew up with me, I grew up with you. You know? I love that. That's, I mean, honestly, though, if I'm being real, White House, the timing of White House's and what the song was about in my life. I was like, okay, she's singing to me. We're living yes, parallel moments. I was. Yeah. <laughs> Every low gay boy was feeling yes, it. Yes, I was. Yes. I also do want to ask, is it true that that song got censored on MTV? I read that and I was yes. like, what? Like, that what? was annoying. Well, you know, and you have to think about when these things happen. Like, who's in charge? Who's making right, this decision? Yeah. It was like, Russia, blood. And like that, they censored the word blood. They couldn't, I mean, it was just like, part of it too is like, I wonder if they're like, well, it's, but it's Vanessa Carlton. She's this. So right. why is mm-hmm. she sing, saying that? You know, it's like, that was the beginning of me realizing like, oh, I will always push. I will always mm-hmm. push. I will always push. And, you know, that, that doesn't exist anymore. MTV doesn't really exist anymore. So so we have so much more freedom in certain ways. Mm. You're not like relying, like in that Vice thing too, he, they were talking about how at the time, the only way to really get your song, like you that you have to submit a video if you're like on a major label and you hope that MTV plays it. And then um, you're submitting your songs to radio stations. Mm-hmm. Like, and now it's like, there's a million ways to get your stuff out, you know? No, absolutely. And that's what's so exciting. I mean, you were doing like you did a cover of Robin's Call Your Girlfriend that I watched. Like you've been playing around so much. And I think that's so exciting to kind of jump that middleman sometimes and be able to enter an artist's right. like personal space when they want to open that door and be like, oh, cool. This is what they're thinking. This is what they're playing with in a way that, yeah, the early 2000s couldn't possibly have offered um, the artist or the the listener, I guess. Yeah, I have never done well as a product. Like mm. I am not. I will always blow it up. Like I'll always f- it up. I'll, I just not, I'm not a product. <laughs> I can't do it. Like there's just, yeah. I'm not saying that I, I, I mean, I rely on, you know, I buy my daughter's shoes and our food and, you know, my husband the same. That's how he, we support ourselves through our music. Yes, this is what we sell. But like, I just don't, um, I've always made for the worst pop star. Like the, I will always piss every, anyone off that I'm working with. They're like, oh my God, she's really not getting this. You know? <laughs> I love that. I mean, yeah, I, but that's the beauty of it, right? Like you kind of go through, you learn, you have to learn a little bit and learn the things that you're like kind of going to value yourself above. And I think that's like, it's a good thing to reiterate and and repeat for folks. Yeah. Like know what you're good at, know what you're not good yes. at. Like there, mm-hmm. I love a pop star. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Oh, like yeah. Ariana Grande, Selena Gomez, Britney Spears, Taylor Swift, like they turn it into like they are crafting their pop careers. Mm -hmm. Like I know they have a lot riding on them because there's such huge careers in the sense of like, you know, huge tours and this and that. And they're good at it. They are good at it. You know what I mean? Like you got to know what you're good at when you're not good at it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Find your lane. Stay in it. Find your lane. Yeah. Make the lane more beautiful. Make it sustainable. Let's do all of it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, well, Vanessa Carlton, thank you so much for coming on. And before we let you go, I would like to play a little game with you we play at the end of the show. Okay. And the title sounds a lot more intimidating than it actually is, because to me, this word is meaningless and warped. But the game is called Let Me Get You Cancelled. And usually what we have someone do is defend an unpopular or incorrect opinion sarcastically. But today, I would maybe like you to do something different. So my question to you is, the song is is about a person, but I would like to ask you, what is the most embarrassing thing that you would quite literally walk a thousand miles for? I have walked what felt like a thousand miles for people that were not worth it, for food that was not worth it. But I'm wondering right. what's like maybe um, not necessarily a vice, but an indulgence or something deeply embarrassing you love that you'd go the distance for. Well, proudly, I would walk a very long amount of mileage for Sid, my daughter, you know, like I would be Mm -hmm. walking long ass time trying to find my dog. Um, (laughs) If John needed me, you know, but I think similar to you, like I have in the past, like made embarrassing levels of sacrifice for people that did not, that was not a wise thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But my first thing, my my first answer to that was like, my knee jerk was like, it's got to be some sort of food. It's got to be way, some right? sort of food. Yeah, yeah. What's the food that you would walk a thousand miles for? There we go. Well, maybe it's like a really, really fabulous hot fudge sundae. Like I'm a mm-hmm. big uh, sundae person, but it has to be the right fudge. And the ice cream has to be homemade. Like it can't just be like, I'm not walking anywhere for someone, for them to serve me like Hershey's from the bucket. Like what's happening here? Like I want, you know, like marble top. When I was young, I was studying <laughs> ballet in Seattle. Marble top, it was called marble top. That was the first the Cold Stone is based on this place called Marble Top Creamery. Oh, yeah. They do the, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I would walk to that app like, sometimes tw- I would have two, sometimes two cones in a, yeah, a, a, a day. Oh, I'm there with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say the other thing is like, I, I really, as I've gotten older, and this is like someone totally in their 40s, I get really into like, I'll look on first dibs for like old chairs, like antique chairs and design stuff that it's like way too expensive. It's like way too expensive and then i'll find like i'll be inspired by it and then i go look for it this is sort of a hack on google or etsy or whatever and i'll like find some like i've been driving hours around (laughs) picking up random antiques that i bought online that's a pandemic mood i love that four and a half hours a day i'm like guys i'll see you later and then i get like (laughs) car time i just like to like just be in my car i'm like driving to get these chairs you know that's i've been traveling a lot of miles to do that so I love that. Yeah. Adulthood is truly uh, going the distance for chairs over people. That's what we're doing. That's <laughs> what days. I'm doing. Yes. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> thank you again, Vanessa Carlton. I am, for lack of a better verb, so gagged um, that you are our guest this week. This has been so much fun and <laughs> such an honor. I'm going to ask you what I ask every guest, although I'm sure people know. Where can folks find you online? Where should we be listening and watching for you? Although oh. I know, but yeah. Well, I, you know, I, it's funny. It's like, I didn't even know I had my own YouTube channel until like a couple Ooh. of years ago, but I okay. do have one. Um, but I would go to, I think my direct line to my brain. I, I like Instagram a lot. I find a lot of amazing artists on there oh, cool. and I, 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 I really enjoy it. So my handle is Vanessa Carlton actual. And then I also have a website, you know, people, do people go to websites anymore? No, I don't think so, but <laughs> you can go to my way. I think it's vanessacarlton.com. I have some really awesome merch, beautiful merch, yes. which stands for merchandise. Um, <laughs> for those that don't know what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, that's about it. I got some signed vinyl too. Ooh, I'm selling cool. some signed vinyl. Yep. <gasps> 
Oh, that's amazing. All right, well, we're definitely going to check that out. We're bringing back Bootcut. We're bringing back websites. We are bringing back the loot. These are things we're doing this year. Yes, we I'm are. excited. Yes, we are, baby. Yes. All right, well, thank you again. And hopefully we'll talk soon in the future. But if not, I'll be listening. We'll be here. <laughs> thank you so much, Gabe. It was great to talk to you. Absolutely, you too. So please make sure to support the QWERTY podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review our show right now wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also get your QWERTY fix and read more about the stories we discussed every day at QWERTY.com. QWERTY has been a joint production between Forever Dog and Q Digital. QWERTY is hosted by me, Gabe Gonzalez, produced by Andrew McGuire, engineered and edited by Shireen Lani Yunez, music by Gabe Lopez, executive produced by Joe Cilio, Brett Boehm, Alex Ramsey, Scott Gatz, John Halbach, Dan Tracer, and Melissa D. Motts. Forever! Yeah.